Hi, and welcome to the Your Purpose is Calling podcast, conversations with Christians that are finding purpose, redefining work, and changing their world. I'm your host, Don Sadler. On this podcast, we've talked with lots of Christians in the marketplace who have shared testimonies of how God is moving in their business or career. I love having those conversations, but there's another side of faith in the workplace that we've never really explored here before. And that is, how are we called to respond as Christians when we see things happening in the workplace that are unjust? What is our role in speaking up to abuses of power both in the church and in the workplace? That's what we're going to be talking about today. My guest is Tiffany Bloom. Tiffany is the author of the upcoming book, Pray Tell, Why We Silence Women Who Tell the Truth and How Everyone Can Speak Up. In this episode, Tiffany shares her own story of speaking truth to power in her workplace, the very real price she paid, and why she is so passionate about equipping believers, especially women, to use their voice wherever they see injustice. Now, in just a moment, we'll meet Tiffany, but first, I want to let you know that you can access the show notes for today's episode, including where to find Tiffany online at donsadler.com slash 049. Also, if you enjoyed today's episode, I encourage you to subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes. This helps us reach even more people with inspiring real-life stories of Christians living on mission in the marketplace. But for now, let's meet Tiffany Bloom. Hi, Tiffany. Welcome to the show. Oh, it's such a joy to be here. Uh, in just a moment, we're going to jump in and I'm going to ask you to introduce yourself to our listeners, um, many of whom will already know you uh, because we have a mutual friend, Ashley Abercrombie. Um, and so I feel like you and I are besties already, which is really weird because we've only met a couple times. Um, but you've got a, a new book coming out and this is a topic I just knew we had to have on the podcast. Um, so let's jump in by having you tell our listeners a little bit about who you are and what you do. Oh, of course. Yes. So my name is Tiffany Bloom. I am an author, speaker, and writer from the Seattle area. And I spent a hefty chunk of time in traditional church ministry before writing and speaking full-time. And I co-host the Why Though podcast with Miss Ashley Abercrombie, which has been going since fall of 2018. And I love, love, love. I love Jesus. I love the church. I love women's equality is kind of the, the hill I'm going to die on. And that's what Pray Tell is all about. My previous titles were more Christian inspiration, but this one is definitely a little bit more um, ethics meets social justice meets the call of the church. Yeah. Yeah. We were talking a little bit before we hit record about how on this podcast, we talk about faith and work. We talk about it from the perspective of seeing God move at work and yes and amen that He does that. But there are times where we find ourselves in ethical situations at work. And what does it mean to be a person of faith in that situation? How do we handle that? We've never talked about that on this episode. So I'm really, I'm really excited to dive in. Tell us a little bit more about your upcoming book, Pray Tell, and how you came about writing this book. 
Absolutely. So Pray Tell was inspired by my own experience of speaking truth to power at work due to an ethical dilemma and losing everything I held dear in the process. I lost my income. I lost my professional place um, in my community. I I mean, I even had to switch doctors because I lost my insurance, Don. It was, a, it was a pretty horrific time in my life. And I really, as I unearthed why I was not believed when a man abused his power at a woman's expense, found that I was disposable and the man in power that I questioned and spoke of um, was indispensable. So as I was disposable, he was indispensable. I unearthed, you know, the intersectional nature of it all, the how class and gender and race um, and, and resources play such a huge role in who we believe and who we don't, and how unchecked misogyny in the workplace, if not addressed, harms us all, not just women. So if we are as image bearers of God called to contribute to human flourishing at work, at home, um, at the gym, wherever we spend our lives, then it will take a right understanding and vision for equitable and equal spaces for all men and women. That's amazing. I want to talk about um, the moment. We're not going to talk about the details in any way, but I think that in the workplace, we can find ourselves in one of two situations. Either one, we are a victim or two, we are an observer. And uh, in this particular case, were you, what, was it just, I I just want to kind of walk through for anybody who is listening to this, we're going to talk about victim in a moment, but observer who sees something going on, was that a difficult decision for you to make? Was it something that you struggled with? Was it something where you were just like, oh no, this is not, this is not going to happen. Can you tell us a little bit about how you just walked through being somebody who observed this and making the decision to, um, to whistleblow essentially. Yeah. Yeah. So I was the observer, the bystander. And I think that's what makes this book a little bit unique is most books on this issue are written by victims. And I am writing to the bystander as a bystander, understanding that when there is abuse of power, we often feel, you know what? Not my circus, not my monkeys, not my situation. I don't need to do anything. But in the reality, if we are subject to the kingdom principles, then we see a brother or sister, a coworker, a colleague who is in the thick of something or who is being mistreated, we have to look at ourselves and say, am I complicit in this situation? Or or am I actively enabling this situation? Am I silently enabling this situation? What role do I play? Because I most definitely play a role. As much as we'd love to think of power as straight, vertical, up and down, there's all of these players around it, right? There's we're, We all have a cog in the system and how we steward that place, voice, space, and power determines not only our well-being, but the well-being of others. But when we find ourselves in that situation where someone else's issue will directly affect our proximity to power, our proximity to resources or a raise or a promotion, or how we'll be viewed professionally, then we see that there's a lot on the line. And historically, women in the workplace have not spoke up because they didn't have agency to do so. You know, you see this after World War II when women flooded uh, the workplace because men were at war. And then when men came back, they're like, well, you have all of our jobs now, but you're going to work harder for less pay. And there's not going to be anything in place to protect you from bodily harm if we assault you. So, you know, you go from there to where we are in our modern day. And don't get me wrong, we've made incredible gains. But when we realize even the term sexual harassment against women um, wasn't even a term until the mid-70s. 
after the civil rights movement. So mm-hmm. there, there's, we just still have so far to go. And many of us are discovering that we have architected our the systems we work in, the systems we play in, the systems we worship in to uphold these patriarchal narratives and silence women with a truth to tell because we would have to question our part and our role and our trust in the system if that woman were right. I think this is important because every um, there's a lot of very public um, things that happen that we look at. And I think the question is always, how did so many people know and do nothing? And mm-hmm. because this doesn't happen in a vacuum, like you said, Come there's on. a whole, it's, right. a, it's a structure. So tell us a little bit about where are some examples that we might see that historically, obviously there's a whole lot of recent examples of that, but tell us some, some examples of that historically. Absolutely. Um, I first just want to echo your sentiment that that is the case. The first thing that happens when we see in our newsfeed or on the, on CNN that something has gone awry, whether in church or, or politics or c- celebrity culture, wherever the case may be, we're always like, why didn't somebody speak up? And the truth is there was probably several people who attempted to, several people who tried to plead their case and they were actively silenced. And I want to use the example of R. Kelly for this, um, for this specific moment. The way that, um, some the, of some journalists who've studied R. Kelly and his rise to fame and his abuse of power for so long of underage girls, they estimate that it was over a thousand people knew of what he was doing and didn't stop him. Now we're talking all wow. the way up to media executives and marketing executives, all the way down to hourly wage, craft services, working on a shoot, making minimum wage. So all of those people from the very tippy top all the way down to the bottom who knew that he had a harem of girls that he was abusing and whose parents wanted these girls back that he had um, seduced and coerced in a myriad of ways through all of the help that helped him, they were all benefiting in some way, shape, or form by this man abusing his power. He, he, he's an icon in our generation. Uh, you know, he's, he's at every wedding play playlist that we've been to in like the past <laughs> 15 years, you know, he is embedded in to our pop culture uh, landscape so much so that he wasn't worth sacrificing. All of these nameless, faceless girls were worth sacrificing. And so even though parents and so many people tried to say like, Hey, uh, what do we do? They tried calling the police. The police were complicit. So I think we have to understand that so many people are willing to be complicit because complicity demands nothing. It demands nothing of you. It's the easiest path. We are always taking the least resistant path, but to speak up, it takes a lot. You're likely to lose your place, your, your resources, your income, your professional name. There's a lot on the line to lose. And it's just easier to walk away. So many feel, but then on the, on the flip side of that, you have lifetime, a cable shoot channel that decided we want to run kind of a series on this guy. And it was only after lifetime ran their series on R Kelly that was viewed by over 26 million people that then the legal powers that be decided to pursue legal charges, which he'd been dropped of several charges of, you know, child pornography and assault and battery and rape and all of these things that he'd been released from over years. All of those things came to the forefront. He was then charged in um, no less than three states. So it, it's interesting how we say, well, why didn't anybody speak up? Well, th- that shows you how many people are complicit 
to the poor behavior. And also there was likely people who spoke up, but if they had something to lose, if they were paid off, if they were silenced in any way, shape or form, silence isn't this big, like we are going to you know, make it so if you ever talk, you're going to lose everything you hold dear. That's one way of silence. But silence can also be propping up the perpetrator by their accolades or um, here's what he's done. I think, in, you know, we look at Dr. Kristen Blasey Ford, he, uh, Brett Kavanaugh defended himself by his accolades. Not saying I didn't do this. That wasn't the linchpin of his defense. It was his accolades versus her testimony. And so I think it's, it's interesting how we are willing to rewrite the history to either fit our narrative so we don't have anything to lose or we're willing to silence those who have an unpopular truth to tell because it would bring down the whole system. As you were talking, I was thinking about something and, I, and I'd love to get your read on this. I'm thinking about Bill Cosby and I'm thinking about the fact that there were for years and years yeah. women who spoke up who were not believed and it was not until a male comic made a uh, yeah. made a reference to it that all of this started to topple. Talk to me a little bit about the believability of women as bystanders compared to men. Is there an inequality there? Um, not the victims, just someone speaking out. Because it, it, right. it was really phenomenal that that was not believed until it was basically an offhanded comment by a comic. Yep, I do recall. It's interesting that the Me Too, Church Too, and Time's Up movements verbiage and anthem has been believe women. And the reason being is we're yeah. not inviting uh, anyone to believe women without evidence that's, you know, without evidence that she's been harmed, but we're inviting women to have the same voice and recognition and worthiness that we give one man. We often wait till many women come forward. There usually has to be an entire movement of women moving forward. Um, in my case, there was dozens upon dozens of women who came forward. Um, but but the testimony of one man holds too much weight. And in that case, a comic against Bill Cosby is absolutely ridiculous. And historically and theologically, there are reasons for this. Um, I want to talk first theologically, you know, the early church very much amplified the voice of women. And it was the Greco-Roman influence that seeped into the church that said, women are second. If women have a truth to tell, it's because they have personal gain or it's out of fear. Their testimony holds no weight in the court of law, yet Jesus entrusted the message of the resurrection on a woman's shoulders. So you see just that dissonant reality and what Jesus was trying to do as one of his last acts, you know, um, before ascending to heaven, it's just wild to me that that was, was always part of the plan was to award dignity and for women to take their proper place in society, in reality, not just in kingdom come, but in the then and there and that time in the first century. And then you see it in workplaces where, you know, women haven't even been able to hold high positions for so long because they weren't, um, they weren't seen as worthy. They weren't seen as capable and they're, witness, their testimony has always been seen as second. And there's a few reasons for that. Number one, when somebody shows shows us themselves, we want to believe their first impression. Now, when a man abuses his power, let's say Cosby in this example, he is so believable and so loving that you would have to mine your the deep recesses of your brain to convince yourself that this man who you believe is good could somehow be bad. It is easier to blame a woman or to believe that a woman is making something up than to change your first impression. The brain just does not want to go there. 
And in addition to that, if we believe somebody's good, we will search high and low for testimony, for stories, for accolades, for reasons why this man could never do that. We will do anything to preserve our first impression. And the interesting thing about narcissists and predators uh, um, and abusers of power is they are masters at first impressions because they are often finding who that they can abuse and use for their gain and for their agenda. So nobody wanted to believe that Cosby, that America's dad was a bad guy capable of bad things. Therefore, something must be wrong with these women. We, we initially start with the belief in men before we ever degrade women. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's so interesting. And I think that, um, you know, the thing with Cosby, and not to belabor that point, because there's a whole lot of them, this is something that exists in most cases privately. It's between a man and a woman. It's he said, she said. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's one of the reasons that it's so difficult. Right. In my own life, when I was a victim, it was public. Everyone saw, and still they chose to do nothing. And so I think that it's not even about, he said, she said, just to what you are saying, it is about structures of power yeah. that uh, it's it's more than just one person. It's always the structure around them, right? Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, in the he said, he said she said, say that 10 times fast on, um, you will often see <laughs> the reliance on the power dynamics to win his case, class, race, gender, resources. You see how that will instantly play to his advantage um, against a woman, no matter how powerful that woman is. We'll return to my conversation with Tiffany in just a moment. But first, I want to let you know that I'm offering a free tool to help you be more productive in your day. It's called the Peak Page, and it contains five high-performance productivity tools on a single page. The Peak Page is a printable daily planner that you can use to take control of your time, improve your focus, and achieve your most important goals. Download your own free printable copy of the Peak Page at dawnsadler.com peak. And now, back to my conversation with Tiffany Bloom. I want to shift to the victim because I just know that there are, are people who are listening to this podcast right now who are in this situation. And uh, maybe they feel trapped. Maybe they are nodding as they listen to this. Like, yes, I am in that power dynamic. There are people who know I feel like as a victim, you feel like you're just up against uh, this huge wall because you're not just up against a person. You're up against a whole structure. Tell me what you would say to somebody who is in this situation right now and is trying to get out of it. Maybe they fear losing their job, their reputation. Um, what, what, what kinds of things would you say to somebody who's walking through that right now? So you're saying the victim, not the bystander. Right. Right. I think first the victim is find people of peace. Find people of peace that you can share your story mm-hmm. with. And I think next, you need to know your rights. I think in, in sacred culture, we often say that, you know, in the, in the church, we need to handle this in-house and that's dangerous all on its own. And in workplaces, HR can become a joke when they do not advocate for the victim. And so I am a, I talk extensively in the book about the EEOC, the Equal Employment um, 
Opportunity Commission and their role to ensure safe, equitable workspaces for men and women, especially women around um, sexual misconduct or abusive power to women's expense. And so I think for me, even in my situation, I'm like, what, what are my resources here? So I think we need to first seek people of peace that we can share with, whether that be a therapist, whether that be a mentor, a, a trusted advocate, somebody to walk this journey with us. Secondly, we need to know our rights. And third, we need to be able to approach HR with um, with our story, with our experience. And if you have someone you can bring with you, my goodness, please bring them. If there's someone who will stand with you. And you know, it's interesting uh, to the bystander, you're thinking, oh, I don't want to get dragged into this, right? You're thinking, I don't want to get dragged into this whole dilemma at work. It is, but as followers of Jesus, as we talk about faith at work, that is our role in the kingdom to be, a faithful ally to the downtrodden. That is our first call um, as followers of Jesus is to love God and love people, right? So as we walk that out and walk with somebody and sit with that victim and be available to that victim, I think um, the biggest thing for victim, I think, is to know that you're not alone, to know that you don't have to walk this out alone. So know your resources, go with someone you can trust um, and really understand the retribution that can happen Um, for the person who's abused his power, whether it's management, upper management, middle management, whoever it is, um, and know know what the consequences for yourself, know what you walk in there with, because we are still so far away from laws that are protecting women who blow the whistle, who are the victim and the whistleblowers. That's not often the same person, Um, but as they come forward, we have to have more. And I advocate for that. Um, Talk a little bit more about that everywhere from Google to NBC. There has to be more... Uh, practices in place that protect women who come forward rather than, um, you know, silent settlements, secret settlements that offer them money. Don't talk about this. You know, we're not going to write you a a recommendation letter for another job. There's just so many ways that we have hurt victims. And I think, again, this is why I go back to bringing an ally in with you is because you need someone else to bear witness if something goes south or if something is not as it should be, or if you're being silenced uh, with money, with power, with threats, you need somebody else whose whose emotions aren't as deeply affected and who can stand with you and say, nope, this is not okay. Yeah. Yeah. What do you say to the people who, um, because I know that a lot of this has to do with corporations and they've got structures in place. They've got HR departments. What about the person who is in a company that doesn't have any of that? I I think about a lot of mom and pops. I think about how pervasive this can be um, in mom and pop type companies that don't have those protections, that don't have those infrastructures. Um, And I definitely hear what you're saying for someone to find an ally. But I think it, is it more complicated in those situations? Is it a little bit harder when you don't have sort of that corporate, I mean, obviously all of this can happen in corporations as we've seen over and over again, but is it a little bit more complicated in that case? Yeah, I believe so. And I also believe that before the, especially as we're talking about mom and pop, I think before there's ever an issue, someone needs to bring to the table, hey, what's going to happen if, if somebody comes with um, evidence of misconduct? How, how are we going to handle it? So well before it's an issue, I think that there's room to build in policies, bylaws, practices that can both protect a victim, protect a whistleblower, because they're often the ones demonized just as much as a victim. And then also, um, also have accountability in place for those in those mom and pop situations where there's accountability for them at every level of leadership, whether there's eight employees, whether there's 8,000 employees, there's still, I think that the policies and the practices 
still need to be in place. And especially for pop, man, if you can get ahead of it, I think that that is so necessary. Tell us a little bit about your own story. When you, um, when you did blow the whistle and you had a lot that you were at risk of losing that you did in fact lose, tell us a little bit about how you, uh, how did you walk through that? Um, what was, what was some of the fallout that you experienced and what advice would you give to somebody who is, who's walking through that? Yeah. I think if you are walking through speaking truth to power and you have, uh, and I, I just want to say, I wasn't that girl. I'm a three on the Enneagram. Like I'm a diplomatic, <laughs> get along with everybody girl. And so I was, I was not the person I think they ever thought who would speak up. I think it took them by surprise. I was probably the last person on the list who they thought would um, speak truth to power in a way that would cost me so much and, um, and really put the spotlight on this, um, on this particular system. So I'd say first, understand that the consequences are real. Understand that the consequences are real. So like real talk, practically, if this isn't a place you can work while you're blowing the whistle, I encourage you to seek uh, employment elsewhere. Or I I actually resigned in the middle of my ordeal and walked away with um, no severance, obviously, because I I resigned versus uh, being let go. Um, I had saved up as much as I could before that, but it was really an honest, um, an honest conversation with myself and with the people who are valued mentors in my life of what's the financial cost, what is the emotional cost, what's the relational cost, what's the professional cost. So I think first, count the cost. And I think secondly, as you're speaking truth to power, again, I really believe in where two or more are gathered, not only is the Lord there, but it is really power in numbers. So being able to have one, two, three, five, three, thirty however many people who can come to the table and speak truth to power, there's a reason movements move toward change is because the oppressed are often the ones to move the needle toward justice. And so I would say, consider the cost, go with as many people as you can. I think be ready for the kickback. Understand that they're going to come after you personally. If you're bringing an issue to the table, they're not going to often, business, church, wherever you are, they're not going to... and any story in the most recent history would prove this, they're not going to come back with, oh, this is an issue. We should, <laughs> we should deal with this. It's going to come back as a hit to the whistleblower. That is usually the cycle of how these things work. Whistleblower comes forward, and then the hit is to the whistleblower to undermine their place, their character. Because uh, if, if you can undermine the whistleblower, the issue and the misconduct and whatever they're talking about has no merit. So just prepare yourself for a personal attack. And I know this is maybe a little bit too straight to the jugular, but it really is prepare yourself for what they're going to say or speak over you, of your credibility, of your work. Um, I think that was, and just real talk for my situation, the women who spoke up to defend the abuser of power in my situation, that's what hurt the worst. The women who were willing to say the most ridiculous stuff about me who there was no, I mean, these are the women who threw my baby showers. These are the women who you, you know, you went out for drinks with after work. And for those same women, in order to retain their proximity to power, totally threw me under the bus, um, made up ridiculous asinine accusations about me. So I think be, be ready. There is loss. For growth, there is going to be loss. For truth to come forward in the light, the darkness has to flee. And it is, it's a painful process. It really, really is a painful process. Sorry that wasn't a little cheerier of an answer. (laughs) 
No, I think it's really good because you talked earlier about the emotional cost and it is important to understand that this often means for whistleblowers, uh, not just a financial loss, but also a loss of relationship. It's amazing historically in lots of different contexts that even when people are faced with evil, that they would rather cho- choose the known devil for you know lack of a better term yeah. um, than something that is unknown. Did you, I want to talk a little bit about your prayer life during this time. Did you walk through that feeling like, you know what, I, I know that I'm doing uh, what I feel called to do as a believer. This is what I, I, I feel to be right. I know that God is going to provide on the other side of this. Talk to me a little bit about your, about your faith during this time. Yeah. I really clung to the Psalms. I clung to passages where David would describe what was in reality. And then he would speak the supernatural, God's reality over it. Though this is difficult, but I know you're with me. Though this feels impossible, I know your right hand guides me. So I really took comfort in the Psalms and in the liturgies of old, knowing that I'm not the first person to do the hard thing, especially when the hard thing is the right thing. I'm not the first person to believe that um, God's goodness and human flourishing requires um, exposing the unhealth of a system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's so powerful. Um, I'm so grateful to you for being somebody who stood up in that moment. How long was that process between the time that you started, between the time that you blew the whistle and the time that you just really felt like you were on the other side of that financially, emotionally, all of the things? How long was that process for you? I'm just curious. Yeah. Well, I, I, I sat on the secret that was shared with me for about seven months. And then it was about a, a two-year ordeal um, involved with um, all the things that come when you <laughs> speak truth to power and the legal ramifications of that. And then Dawn, at the end of my story, I wasn't believed. It wasn't until a couple years later that even more people spoke up that they finally um, removed the person in power. And I'll tell you what, it's no fun going first. So I would say it was about yeah. a two and a half year process um, to really walk away. And again, financially, it was a, we started our entire lives over our faith community finances, both my husband and I worked for the entity that, um, that I spoke about. And so it was a, it was a huge, huge moment of like, okay, who are we? Where are we? Who are our people? What does life look like? What does it look like to have a new vision? And it took time, but I'll, I'll tell you what, it was so worth it. And God's so faithful. He's so faithful. He's, he's never gonna forsake uh, the brokenhearted, and he's never going to forsake the truth tellers. Hmm. I love that. He's never going to forsake the truth tellers. I love that. Um, hey, in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to say a prayer again. I just know there's people listening right now. I just envision that there's people who are in tears because it feels like somebody who can speak to their situation, and we pray that there is hope in that. In just a moment, I'm going to ask you to pray for um, people who are experiencing this as a victim, but also people who are really struggling with their own um, conviction to speak truth to power. Um, and we're going to end with that prayer. But before we do that, can you just share with our listeners where they can find you online, where they can find out more about your book, your podcast, all the things? Yeah, you can find everything at tiffanybloom.com, B-L-U-H-M. 
great. And do you mind saying a prayer? Oh, I'd be honored. Oh, God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, God of Tamar and Rahab, God of Dawn and Tiffany, God of every person listening right now, I ask that you would hear our prayer, that you would draw near. Would we be reminded that you see it all? It's all kingdom, our work, our worship, our play, our rest. It is all yours and is all unto you. I pray that you would speak truth and confidence and bravery into the bones and marrow of every person listening. And when they find themselves in a system that is not upholding justice and truth, that's not upholding equality and equity, that they would be a speaker of truth, a contributor to change, a contributor to justice, a contributor to wholeness. As you have invited all of us to play our role in this kingdom, no person is greater or lesser to you. You invite us all to love you, to love people, and to serve our post well. Would we do it with dignity and honor and respect and see your image in all God's children, whether that be our colleague, whether that be upper management, whether that be anybody we encounter. They are our brother and they are our sister. Let us speak truth. Let us lead in love. To you be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Tiffany, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Oh, what an honor. Thanks for having me. I'd like to thank Tiffany Bloom for joining me on the show today. Just a reminder that you can access the show notes for today's episode, including where to find Tiffany online at donsadler.com slash 049. Did you enjoy today's episode? If so, please take a moment to subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes. This helps us reach more people with real-life stories of Christians living on mission in the marketplace. This has been the Your Purpose is Calling podcast, conversations with Christians who are finding purpose, redefining work, and changing their world. I'm your host, Don Sadler. Thanks for listening.